0: You'll never know if you don't go. You'll never shine if you don't glow. Hey now, you're an all star. Get your game on. Go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on. Get paid. And all that matters is go. Only shooting stars break
1: the mold. Welcome to another episode of the NRL All Stars podcast. This is Barnsey, your host here for the NRL Supercoach 2024 season team previews. It is the pre-season. It is time to look at every team with a... Go through it with a fine-tooth comb, have a look at all the Supercoach options, have a chat about the team's prospects for the 2024 season. Got some great guests lined up. We had Billy making his triumphant return to the season last week where we did the Canterbury Bulldogs as well as the Parramatta Eagles team previews. This episode... We have the Brisbane Broncos and the Gold Coast Titans team previews. And who better to get on than the resident Queenslander himself, Wilfred Z, former champion, host of the Supercoach Champions
0: podcast as well. Wilfred, welcome back for another great season, mate. Cheers to that, Barnsley. Thanks for having me on again and uh, always keen to come on and chat. Broncos and Titans. Someone's got to defend the Queenslanders, right? Yeah, someone needs to. And I mean, look, you don't need
1: too much defense at the moment because the Broncos hit the grand final last week. So, you know, I mean, last year, well, last week, last year you got in the grand it final. It feels like last week to me. I'm though. sure it does. I'm still, I'm sure you're still talking about it every day and, um, and reminiscing and living off it. Although I wouldn't want to remember that,
0: uh, that last 18 minutes. I was going to say, <laughs> It's the opposite. I'm, I'm trying my best to keep forgetting that last twenty minutes. Really. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we are going to go through the Broncos first up because you are a big Broncos fan. It's obviously a season with high expectations for them. So they went to the grand final last year, obviously lost to Penrith, but a much improved season. A lot of that was due to some of the Super Coach guns that we're going to talk about. But before we do, we do need to have a look at some of the changes and also the draw. So as far as the draw goes, like let's look at that first. The draw itself. Uh, I wasn't much of a fan of. So for super coach, again for anyone's listening for the first time, I'm certainly always looking at sort of the first month and then certainly the first two months as two different blocks and determining how the start is for the season. When we're talking about super coach options in these podcasts, we're talking about from round one. We're talking about to build your team right now. So certainly some teams and some options might look good for later on, but they've got to look good for round one to be in your side. So the Broncos, Wilfred. They do have a decent amount of home games, but it's just quite tough. So the first month, they hit the Roosters, Souths, Penrith, and the Cowboys. And in the second month, they've got the Storm, the Dolphins, the Raiders, and the Tigers. So certainly from around six to eight, that Dolphins, Raiders, Tigers run looks juicy to me. But when you look at those first five games, really, it looks pretty daunting from a Broncos perspective. So, I mean, I guess finally... The league has gone, you know, maybe the Broncos should have a bit of a tough run. <laughs> They've given you a hard draw, mate, to start with.
0: I mean, I feel like this is something that's always talked about every year, right? The Broncos, they get the cushy draw from the broadcasters and the NRL. You know, they, they love, they, they want to see the Broncos do well, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I think the problem is, is that, yes, they're going to get the games at Suncorp. They're going to get the, you know, the nice bumps there with the Seagulls always selling one of their home games to, to the Broncos and playing at Suncorp for taking, you know, for cash, they've got the, the, the bump of obviously magic around as well. So, and, and now they've got the dolphins who, you know, I think four games a year, they're taking games to Suncop stadium as well. So that that's always going to help the Broncos get a couple of extra games at home. But the problem with the Broncos is because they rate so well, they always get lots of top eight uh, opponents, like every year consistently they're they're playing the most top eight opponents uh, of, of pretty much every team. So, I don't really feel like there's ever really a great draw for the Broncos in terms of opposition. The The best part of their draw is when they don't have to travel as much as they normally do, which, yeah, I think it's, it's not the best first five rounds for sure. Uh, throw in obviously the complication of having to go to Vegas uh, for round zero uh, against your Roosters, obviously, but yeah, I I don't think the way the Broncos have been, uh, if, if, you know, we assume 2023 continues on uh, that that form that they showed. I don't think it's going to be a huge issue for them. They've managed to put on points again, pretty, pretty much every team, bar basically the Panthers and I think, you know, a full strength storm. Uh, every other team, you know, the Broncos were able to do, you know, to put up 20, 30 and sometimes 40 points, even if they were like, I think there was a big blowout against the Eels. Obviously there was the 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 Cowboys and also uh, even the Rabbitos they didn't yeah there were some high scoring games there for the Broncos so I'm not I'm not obsessing over the draw if I could put it that way it's going to be a good podcast because you know you're the um, positive
1: Broncos fan and I'm the pessimistic non Broncos fan so if everyone just takes fifty percent of what each of us says <laughs> you'll probably end up with a good spot as far as factual Somewhere information in middle, yeah uh, <laughs> but look I am completely worried about their draw so I'm. I think that it has a big impact on your round one sides for Supercoach with your selections. I don't like that first five weeks at all for Brisbane. I think it's a real it's a real rough five weeks. Uh, but look, the team changes and where they are at as well. Like gains wise they got Fletcher Baker in from the Roosters, but that's pretty much it. Uh, losses, they lost Capewell, they lost Farnworth, they lost Flegler, they lost Palacia, and those are three guys that were generally in the 17 and certainly those first three were, I think Farnworth is going to be felt immensely and defensively. Like you talked about, you know, your matchups with the the better teams. I think defensively Farnworth is going to be really felt as far as his absence goes and defensively having Cobo there, that's going to be a learning curve uh, along with that as well. Your middle stocks, you know, I'm, I'm actually not the biggest Flegler fan. Like I'm, Sort of get surprised when he gets put in the Queensland jersey sometimes, and I don't. I like him, but I don't rate him as much as some some fans do. But for the Broncos, it means that you're going to have to really have some young middle forwards step up. And then Kirk Capewell, I was a big fan of letting him go because I wouldn't have wanted to have paid him. You know, I, I thought that he's certainly been going downhill as a player, which happens. It's not his fault, but he's getting older, and the money that he needed to be paid, you wouldn't want to be paying him. So I thought it was great to lose him. But at the same time, it brings in experience for you again. I would say overall for me, you know, you look like you've lost more than what you've gained and there's going to be some learning curves based on your roster. Uh, Certainly in the preseason, we'll see some of that, but for the start of the year as well.
0: Yeah, look, I I think that's a pretty fair take. Um, I I think I'm with you on Capewell. He's definitely, like he had some highlight moments. I won't. I won't begrudge him for for those you know those times where he did step up, but like he was exposed defensively repeatedly for someone that experienced. Like he just he doesn't he just wasn't where he needed to be. So I I, I do think that was a, a net gain for the Broncos overall. Moving him on, it's going to hurt initially, but you know the the trust is there. Obviously, in the younger guys to step up. Um, I yeah, look, I I really liked Herbie. It would have been great to keep him, but there was no way. The, you know, that's the way the salary cap works. There was no way that the money could have been there. Ultimately, um, I, I agree with the defensive concerns there with Cobo going to left-centre instead. But, I mean, for Supercoach, that's probably not a bad thing, right? Because that potentially means higher scoring games. <laughs> like, the Broncos will be forced to chance their arm a bit. Well, it's, it's great to load up on the opposition against Cobo. Like, that's fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it works both ways. So, definitely feel that. I think, you know, in, in terms of attack, like, that, there could be a little bit more for Cobo uh you know he's got a better pass on him so maybe the left wing is a bit more enticing than it might have been uh last year herbie didn't like to pass too often uh so yeah i think that's that's probably the super coach impact there look i i've always been a fan of flegler in in terms of i really liked him coming into grade i feel like he was not hitting his potential really uh, it was frustrating because he had so many brain snaps and just times where he just mentally switched off and wasn't quite there. But when he when he was on, like his highs, like they were some really fantastic moments. I felt like we saw a lot more of that last year, and I I, I am concerned. You know, we're going to miss him. It felt like he finally was delivering on the pay packet that the Broncos had been paying him for the for that long. But unfortunately, again, the Dolphins opened up the checkbook and the Broncos couldn't match. Obviously, with the money that he was going to get. So I, I, it's always funny too, as well, just to jump in when, you know, players start to live up to their pay packet in the last six months of their final year of their deal, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Com- convenient. But to be fair, like he, he did play really, really well. Uh, I, I wonder if that, how much of that was just because when you're the third best forward in the club uh, moving to, you know, basically being asked to be the main guy in the middle at the dolphins or, or, you know, maybe number two, next to Gilbert, depending. I, uh, Yeah. So those are probably the questions for Flegler there. For the Broncos, obviously that opens up minutes uh in the pack there. I, I tend to think between Carrigan and they're not going to be struggling too much overall, but they will be needing, you know, the likes of Corey Jensen. Uh hopefully some of the younger guys, uh, like you know, I really want to see Willison take that next step and, and stay healthy, for example. Yes, guys like that stepping up to fill the fill the gap from Flegler. Palacio, look, he had a, a good little stretch last year. I won't, you know, deny that. But he's been so frustrating for so long because he's—he just has these games where, look, he shows some promise and then he just disappears for three, four weeks, or just does boneheaded stuff all the time. He kept it together for like a four to six week period last year, and it really—it was great. It, it helped drive the Broncos' run towards the finals in the second half of the year. But yeah, I don't think it's a huge loss. So I'm kind of yeah. I don't think that's too hard to replace basically with the other options they've got there. So I, I, on the whole, yeah, they are probably a weaker side, but keep in mind, there's a few things like, obviously this is, you know, last year was Walsh's first year at the club, right. As far as with the first grade team. So second year of Walsh being there, you know, Carrigan's really kind of just continuing to mature and step up. I feel like he might lift another level again this year. Uh, paying Haas is Payne Haas. And I'm really excited to see the development of guys like, you know, I, I do think Colbert could be a really good center. It's going to take time, uh, but I, I think he's got some potential there. I can also see Pierre Cora. I, I really like him uh for what he brings, not so much for super coach. And no doubt we'll talk about him because he's relevant, but I I just think as an NRL player, he's quite unique as a back rower and he can offer a fair bit uh with his, uh, you know, his skills with the ball in hand and also the lines that he can run. So I have a lot of excitement there for Picura too.
1: Yeah, I really like him. Um, so I am going to go devil's advocate on a couple of those things there because it can go either way. Like you, you could 100% be right, particularly with the Reese Walsh comment that it was his first year and he'll get better. I'll, I'll throw it an alternative out there though that can happen just as easily and that is that Reese Walsh just had a breakout year in his first year in a new system that worked for him. And everybody knows about it now. And everybody knows exactly what to expect from Reese Walsh Broncos side and what he's going to do there. And often you, we talk about second year syndrome with rookies that get their first year, you know, playing 80 minutes a game for a full season in a spot. It can also happen to guys that break out with breakout players. You can get second year breakout syndrome where they're not bad. Like, I don't think Reese Walsh would be bad but he might not be as good as what he was last year. Certainly to start the season, he might have some growing pains. That could happen. Uh, Reynolds probably had his best season for a few years. Uh, That may not continue, especially at his age. And then all of a sudden, you know, the Broncos are relying entirely on, well, not entirely, but a lot of their success relies on Walsh and Reynolds in that back line. And if they're down, then the, the Broncos have to be down so I, for me, like to move on to the players and talk about some of these players for Supercoach, as far as where I think they'll finish, I don't think they'll finish top four. Um, I've got them penciled in for five to eight, probably unlikely for eight. I'd, if I were to guess, I'd probably say six. And that's basically where I've got them for a few reasons to temper expectations and stuff. Now, some Broncos fans, before they yell at me, I'm not saying that you're no good. I'm not saying that you're out of the eight even or anything like that. I'm just... You know, temporary expectations you may have overachieved last year. Um, there may be some guys that um, struggle at the start and you sort of come home firing, and it's a, it's a tough draw to start with. Where have you got them finishing for the season?
0: Look, I think I was pretty measured last year. I said we were in that 6 to 10 bracket, and you're right, they overachieved. I didn't see top four being in the in the range of outcomes, but, you know, Walsh was better than I ever expected in his first year. Uh, You know, Carrigan, Haas, they all lifted again. And, you know, as you say, Reynolds having a really good season as well, that was, it it all came together. I think Ezra Mam's development uh, can't be ignored too. He's continuing to improve each season and it's hard, you know, it's easy to forget that he hasn't actually been around that long. So he, you know, for someone to play as well as he did in the grand final in effectively his first final series, like that, that's quite impressive. So, I I think, you know, if there are, is a drop-off from Walsh or, or Reynolds, or whatever, I, I kind of feel like Ezra is not going to, he's not going to just disappear. Like he may step up himself and, and contribute more. But yeah, look, I, I, I'm going to say they're going to be top four again. I'm not sure they're going to come second, but I feel like they they are good enough of a squad uh, across the park that provided there's no, you know, catastrophic injuries. And they were... They were okay injury wise and suspension wise last year. They weren't, you know, it wasn't a, a blessed run, but they did pretty well overall. So if we see similar kind of rates of injury and, and suspensions and whatever, I can still see them finishing top four, but not one and two. Uh, that's that's kind of kind of where I feel at the moment.
1: Okay, fair enough. Well, I think that the um, the big question marks that need to be answered for them for me are going to be: Can Reese Walsh and Adam Reynolds follow that up? Can the forward pack be carried by Payton Haas and Carrigan, particularly when the rest of it looks fairly inexperienced, and also if one of them get injured. And the last thing is I really don't like the centres and the wingers. If they've got Corey Oates and Jesse Arthur's and Cobo and Staggs in the centres, I'm I'm not a fan. Um so I think those are the big question marks for me that they need to answer. And I'm not even going to mention the fact that I still find it really hard to believe in Walters as a as a great coach. So, yeah, <laughs> he deserves it. He deserves it, Wilfred. I know you haven't loved him either. We've been on the same page with that, but you know, look, he he deserves it now. I just still can't quite get my head there. I think
0: like he, he's never going to be, you know, one of those super technical coaching masterminds like like someone when you think about like Craig Bellamy comes to mind, right? Trent Robinson, those guys who you can tell they actually have tactics and and you know well thoroughly prepared. It's just not him, right? He's not that kind of guy, but he's found what works for him. And that's to obviously let the technical side of things be, you know, whether it comes from his assistants or or Adam Reynolds himself or whatever it might be, what Kevy's doing is just focusing on the culture on, on the players themselves uh, and, you know, building what he's built. And uh, I guess if that continues the way it has, like I just, you know, you could really tell there was a shift with, how the Broncos as a squad uh, you know, how they were last year compared to the year before, or especially in, in Kevy's first year when he started uh, coaching uh, in the first, yeah, in his first season. So I, I you're right. i uh, got to give credit where credit's due, but yeah, it's not because he's a coaching mastermind. He's just figured out what, uh, what he needs to do as a coach of the prison Broncos. Like I don't, I just can't see him succeeding in a different club, for example, it's just not going to work. Well, I also worry, if I'm a Broncos fan, if it starts
1: off badly, how Walters manages that? Um, particularly, like, say, Cobo doesn't work out. How does Walters manage that, you know, in the second month of Cobo? Not working too well in centre. Um, if they cop five out of the first eight losses, what is that going to look like for Walters and his reaction? And how does he get that grip going still? Uh, big question marks. But, look, let's talk Super Coach, Reese Walsh, he had a phenomenal year, uh, averaged 80 points per game. The prior years, and I wasn't I wasn't into him to start with because I thought he was going to have a bit of a learning curve fitting into a new Broncos team and everything, uh, but he proved me wrong. He scored 80 points a game when the prior years he went 53 and 64. He'd never really shown 80 points per game type of elite player for super Coach, but he showed it last year. Amazingly, the first six games of the year, he just absolutely destroyed it. He didn't go... Or low 84 points per game in his first six. He rattled off 105, 95, 84, 99, 86, and 101. Uh, it was a, a pretty crazy start, which put me behind because I didn't get him, and I think it was the haves and have-nots with Bryce Walsh. He did show his floor a little bit in the middle portion. So from round nine through to round 14, he went 23, 93, 67, 42, and 65, Uh, showed a penchant for the lower-scoring outings when he didn't get his attack going, uh, which was a big deal because he absolutely smashed it in assists, like some of his tons. He was getting five line-break assists and four-try assists to get to 100-plus. He he looked like he didn't have too much of a ceiling because his initial tons were 105, 101, 116, and 111, but then his last two tons of the season, which were back-to-back in his final two games, were 123 and 141, which are absolute carve up carve ups. So no doubt, um he's the big thing with him, Wilfred. It was never going to be his base, which at raw base was 20 per game, which is pretty ab- abysmal. But it was going to be his create what he creates at fullback, and that's his line break assists and try assists. And he was doing 32 points per game out of his 80 points. Like you know, it's it's almost 40 percent of his scoring was him creating line break or try opportunities for other players that went into his super coach, 80 points per game. So phenomenal season. Um, you always ask though, it, when it's such, it's a score that is such determined by how many assists and that he gets per game, whether that can actually continue, whether he's going to be able to keep doing what he was doing there because he was absolutely on fire, and it was an amazing season for him.
0: Yeah, and let's not forget, you know, the reason he was able to put on so many points is because the Broncos were scoring at, uh, you know, a really good clip. They they were basically the second-best offense in the NRL just behind the Panthers across the regular season. So uh, I just, you know, you spoke to some of the concerns about, you know, potentially, well, there's more tape on Reece Walsh now uh, playing at the Broncos. How will all the rest of the teams adjust to that? And like, it's a valid point. Certainly, they're going to be they're going to be preparing for it, right? There, there's more to study and there's more to prepare for. I do feel like some of the stuff that he's he offers, though, it's just like you can't you can't defend speed sometimes, right? If they can't handle how fast he accelerates um, and and his ability to you know make the right decision a lot of times, like some of his passes were absolutely. Out of this world and it's not something i expected from him uh i didn't see that level of playmaking uh, at the warriors and yeah like there were flashes he had this the core skills to be able to do it like to throw the long cat out and stuff but his timing his um yeah just uh, the moments he chose to to you know to hit the boosters and just burn uh people on their outside and then make the final pass it was super impressive uh, yeah, not just as a Broncos fan, just as a you know fan of football in general, basically. But I, I kind of feel like for him, if he replicates what he did last year, that would already be a really good season. So I'm not saying he's not a super coach option, but I do feel like he might be priced kind of near his peak, especially with that starting draw. So as much as I love Reese Walsh, I like... I don't see myself picking him for super coach uh for round 1 definitely but he is really a confidence player right so he has the ability to turn it on and you know pull out attacking stats against any team even the Panthers uh you know we saw in the grand final he was able to tear him up on the edges um even though obviously yeah the the ending wasn't so nice but he contribute he he obviously working with Ezra contributed to to a lot of those points that the Broncos scored to get out to their lead. So, yeah, uh, I, I'm probably not as worried for him in terms of, you know, can he get close to an 80 average or can he match that? I think it's definitely doable, but I'm not going to pay for that round one.
1: Yeah, and I guess that's the thing. Like, it, Walsh deserves to be put in the elite fullback status that other fullbacks are, like a uh, Trevojevic, uh, Luttrell, uh, Kalen Ponga, Teddy, if he's back to better than last year, perhaps, maybe. But he deserves to be in all those categories with all the top guys. He's one of the top guys. Uh, but I have no interest in starting with him round one. So to me, like you're, I'm always happy to pay. And this is a thing, like you, we talked about it on last week's podcast, there's some guys you're looking for value in or other guys you're just looking to pay for the points because the points are elite. Now, if you can get 80 points per game, and you're confident about that, you're happy to pay for it. It doesn't need to be better than that. So it's certainly not a you know, a back end to Walsh's ability to say, oh, he's only going to score 80 again. Like that would be a great season for him, and he'd still be an elite option and a great one to have in your fullback spot for super coach. The problem for me is that I don't think he's going to score that for the first five rounds. Like I, I could see him quite easily throwing up a 70 average, which is very good. But if you're paying for an 80 average and you get a 70, then maybe you should have just paid for someone else. And the biggest factor for me is that he's, his price point is really high. So he's going to be one of the more expensive fullback options that you can get in. And at 813000 it's it's a lot of money to shell out if you've got a tough draw and you've got a guy that relies heavily on attacking stats to get his 80 points per game. And that's a big difference. Like if you've got other players that... Uh, a, a goal kicking as a, a bit more of a flaw, or other guys like Turbo who just have a much better base base attack. Then that's a little bit easier. But for Walsh you could just see that he could go through a few of those games with a, an assist per game, and maybe one try and three, and then all of a sudden he's averaging sixty for those three, and that's well below his best. So. I can see that. Uh, I think that there's other options that are better to start the season with, but that's not saying that Reese Walsh isn't a great super coach option. Just maybe not for round one. So sounds like you're pretty much at the same spot as me, Wilfred, for Reese Walsh. Yep. Um, (laughs) He also does strike me though. I will say to finish on him, he 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 is a type of player that loves to uh, loves a bit of flamboyance, loves a bit of flair. And he's the type of guy that gets to Vegas and his eyes will light up and he'll just absolutely carve because on the big stage, you'll just love it. But he's also the type of guy too that could go out five nights in a row and get suspended before the game even happens. Yep. So yep. there's there's all of that there as well. Payne Haas, I'm much more confident in starting with Payne Haas. I'll say that right from the outset. Um, and it's I think this is one of the the stories for me, Wilfred, with his Broncos team for Round 1 for Supercoach. If it's a harder draw, it doesn't affect the forwards very much, but it affects the backs. So whilst I'm off the backs a little bit, Payton Haas, I don't I don't care about the draw too much. He averaged 74 points per game last year. That's exactly where we wanted him to be. That's exactly why I really wanted to start with him because the years prior was 63 and 68, which was well down from his 75 and 78 averages in 2019 and 2020. He was always going to be able to get back to that 70 plus, and it's pretty rare in a preseason, that you can get a guy who is already a gun at a 63 average and you can get value out of that as well of over 10 points per game. And that's exactly what we got with Payne Haas. He had a career-high PPM, uh, 54 raw base. Uh, and again, I was pretty impressed with him being able to offload occasionally, which in his early years he was never doing. So I, I, I really liked the season. Uh, he never had a tonne and he only scored the one try. So th- there is that always there with Payne Haas. Uh, I would think with his development as a player, for Supercoach, he could have a couple of tons and a, a couple of hundred pluses with maybe two or three more tries. But at the moment, I-, I would pay 74 points per game for Payne Haas to enter to anchor my front row forward because it's a poor position, as we've spoken about. But you're obviously, as well, going to be paying a pretty hefty fee. So... For me, I've got Payne Haas at the moment at 750000 It's a lot of money to pay at front row forward. I think it's worth it with how bad the position is for Supercoach, but you couldn't buy two of them. So I've got a Payne Haas and then I've penciled in someone at maybe a five hundred k mark as my second front row forward, and that's going to be my build. But I do like Haas for this year. I do like him to replicate his season. Uh, I think that 70-plus is going to be his, his floor. And I, like I said, I'm not too concerned about that starting draw with someone like him.
0: Yeah, I think that's a fair point, and definitely, I'm um, I'm I'm on the same page with a lot of what you just said. I I kind of wonder for for Payne, you know, some of the issues that he had was that he started off probably hotter, and then he, you know, because if he gets managed through Origin, and then the back end of the year, if you know the the Broncos are set in the ladder, I'd like they don't have to like to have the luxury of resting him a bit at the end, right? He missed a couple of those weeks there and then had low, lower minutes in a couple of the other games. So I almost feel like if you want to start with Payne Haas, that's probably the, the ideal. You you probably get the best scoring from him and pre-origin. And then maybe like you could just hold him. But there's a there's an argument to suggest well once he hits origin, flick him off, get someone to cover the buys, and then maybe you don't bother getting him back in and you go someone like uh you know, like Tino might always be a post-Origin option because the Titans are always fighting for you know, either fighting for the possibility of playing for the finals or they, I don't know, Tino just, he, he goes and butts, but busts his gut anyway, regardless of whether they're on the bottom of the ladder or not. So, yeah, I, I see that as one viable option. So he's currently in my team as well. I had him all last preseason and then at the last minute I flipped and, and turned him into Tarponay thinking, oh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll try. Take advantage of dual position and that that was a mistake. So, yeah, I'm going to stick fat with Payne. I'm not too worried. I don't think the Vegas trip will impact him at all. He's superhuman. He's just an absolute specimen. So, yeah, lock and load. Yep, 100% agreed.
1: And it's amazing his stats. 90% of his games, he went 60 plus. You know, you got the old criteria of 60 plus equaling a gun. Uh, The other criteria for me is that 70 plus is elite. And I always look at 70-pluses as well. 50% of his games, he went 70-plus. And when you have a look at the the thing that made me not move him from my side from round one is if you look at his first couple of months of football, he went 79, 65, 92, 74, 95, 79, 73, 63. So six out of his eight games, 75% of them, he went 70-plus in his first two months of the season. He seems to be a guy that starts well and also isn't affected by any type of resting or origin or anything else. So he's a prime candidate to be starting with, and I would advise everyone not to go cheap in your front row forward all the way. You've got to have somebody that's decent there, uh, and Payton Haas is certainly an option. Carrigan, very similar to Haas in that he has to carry that Broncos pack, uh, and he had a career equal career year. In 2020, he averaged 67 points per game. He followed it up with a, a 53 and a 62, uh, but 67 again in 2023. Really, it's it's always the raw base for Carrigan is always fantastic. 51 points per game in just raw base. He played 67 minutes a game, uh, which is almost as many minutes as he's ever played. I don't really see that changing, Wilfred, because they are going to have to rely on him pretty heavily uh, in that pack, especially with the inexperience coming through in it. But in saying that, you know, he is going to cost $684,000 as a second row forward. I'd love him to be that dual front row forward, second row forward, because there could be an argument to say he's a he's a cheaper cut price version of Payne Haas that you can put in your front row forward spot, but he is second row forward only. And it's second row forward only. As much as I love Carrigan, um, his lack of ceiling and the fact that he's more suited to the front row forward spot uh, makes me not interested at all to put him into my second row forward for SuperCoach.
0: Yeah, again, I think that's very fair. I obviously love Patty as a Broncos fan, and I, I think I feel like I said this previously, but you know, when he first broke out uh, as a Supercoach option in 2020, like his game was good for Supercoach. I don't think he was as effective on the field, and I've said this before. I feel like as he's gotten better and better as an NRL player, his game's been less impactful for Supercoach, and that you know there were so many. Times where he just you know plod for nine ten meter hit ups and then it it just wouldn't be an impactful run, but it'd score him two points for super coach. He'd make tackles where he'd be the second or third man in, or usually not the third man, but he'd be second man in, and it wouldn't be an impactful tackle. Like they'd they'd still get a quick play to ball or whatever, but that's still one point for super coach. Now. Uh, especially last year, I felt like there was some runs where he'd go for 14, 15 meters, still two points for super coach. He might not bust any tackles either. Cause he's carrying these guys on his back, but like, that's a massive run for super uh, for, for NRL. Right. And, and you know, his tackles, he was trying to hit hard and, and hit guys off their feet. And, you know, then he'd wrestle with them and all that type of stuff. Great for great for 40, not so much for super coach. So I feel like as he improves as an NRL player, like he needs to, get more offloads in his game I think that'll help him be more relevant Supercoach but otherwise yeah if he was available at front row forward as well then I'm, I'm with you there but outside of that yeah I just can't see him being in the upper tier of the uh back rollers in the in the 2RF uh position for Supercoach so yeah I, I echo a lot of your thoughts on that yeah he's either got to um offer value or
1: offer enough points that you're happy to pay for. And he doesn't either for secondary forward because there's a lot of other value options and a lot of other good points options. So it's a no for me. Only 25% of his games, he went 70 plus when you're talking about elite stuff, What I will
0: throw in there real quickly is that he did have to play on the edge towards the back end of the year, just a few games there. And he actually, you know, there was a few games where that
1: got him his two tries. Yeah, that's what I mean. Ninety-seven
0: and one twenty-five got
1: him his tries. I'd like him a lot more if he was on the edge because he might actually be better.
0: That's what I was getting at. Like he, his first one or two games on the edge, he just he didn't quite look comfortable. But he's he's obviously a really smart guy, and he's picked up the a lot of the intricacies of playing on the edge far faster than some of the other guys they tried out. So by the end, he was actually running really good lines uh choosing the right moments as well. And then that's as you say, that actually contributed in jagging some of those attacking stats. So that's something I'm be looking for. Uh, obviously losing Flegler, I feel like he might just be called to play in the middle some more or just play more minutes. But there's there was some, you know, there's been times where he's trained on the edge just for a little bit, whether it's just to uh, you know as backup or whether he wants to rotate there a little bit. That's something to keep an eye on, I think, for supercoach purposes.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. If he doesn't rotate, though, there is an argument to say that he's overpriced because those two tries are his first two career tries. You know, So he's, if he doesn't score those tries, which is what's happened every other year, uh, his numbers go down a bit. And if he doesn't play those couple of games on the edge at the end of the year, his numbers go down a bit too. So it's, it's not unfeasible for him to have a 62 average instead of a 67 average. I don't actually see upside for yep. him at all. Like he would do well to replicate 67 and he may very well be closer to 60 than he is at 70 as an average. So big concerns there. Reynolds, uh, he's actually a gun from last year, uh, has barely been at that 60 mark a lot of his career, but he managed a career best 65 points per game. And he really, the impact on the field is great, but he was more of a super coach option then I think uh, we could have given him credit for um, because 65 points per game is is much better than what we expected. Having said that, even though he had that great year, he now comes in at 665,000 as a halfback, edging towards those mid-30s, certainly going to be less than that this year, I'm happy to say. Uh, he's obviously goal-kicking last year for one of the better attacking sides in the competition in the Brisbane Broncos. Mm-hmm. If they're not attacking as well, his goal-kicking will go down. Certainly in the first two months, his goal-kicking will go down. Obviously, you've got uh, Nico Hines and Cleary as the very clear-cut best halfback options. I would much rather, if I'm not going to go for one of those guys, be going for a Moses or even some other, other options. Wilford, I'm going to stop because the Broncos fans are going to hate me. I don't mean to say Adam Reynolds is crap, not at all, but for Super Coach. Oh, I expect a regression year and I expect him to not be as much of an option as what he was at times last season.
0: Yep. Very fair. Draft option only. Uh, I wouldn't look at him for classic. Yeah. I, yeah. We'll keep it short and sweet on Adam Reynolds. I, I love him as Broncos fan, but a super coach. I think we've seen his peak. Definitely. Um, moving along to a rising gun,
1: Cobo. Oh, I think I'm going to disagree here. So it's going to be great. Uh, Cobo <laughs> averaged 59 points per game in 2023, 56 the year before. Uh, obviously, he's shown great flashes. As we said, he's going to be playing at centre. We don't have really any information on how he's going to go at centre. Even last year, though, he averaged 59 a game, but just about 25% of his average is his points he's getting for tries. And that's pretty concerning. Um, I know that you said, oh, he might get some more opportunity. I I can't see him getting much more. He scored a a tonne of points last year and it it accounted for a large portion of his 59 average. He's also quite a... um, can be quite a low worker, can be, well, I, think, I don't want to label him lazy, but there has been that type of label put on him at times. Uh, he's going to get worked out a fair bit. He hasn't been someone who has looked extremely fit to me, and he's going to have a lot more tackling that he's going to need to do than he than he had to on the wing. I'm not as much of a believer in his hands as what you are, Wilfred, at least to start with when he's learning the position, so I don't see a huge uptick in assists to start with, although he'll get a few more. Uh, so overall, like, he, I don't think he's going to get to his 20 tries that he got to last year. He's not going to make up for that in his um, assists at all. Uh, he'll have a little bit of an uptick in work rate, but he's also going to miss a heap more tackles. I'm just not a fan at all uh, of starting Selwyn Cobo, and especially when you look at his price point, all of a sudden you're going to pay almost $603,000 for Cobo in your center wing, and look, that's not heaps expensive, Wilfred. Uh, I think that you can pay that for one of your centre wings as your your anchor. But then when you look at the draw as well, like it just kills him dead. Like I couldn't possibly own any centres or wingers for that Broncos draw to start with, let alone one that's learning his position and got all these red flags that, that someone like Selwyn does.
0: Yeah, look, I, I agree. Cobo is not going to be a super coach option for round one. I, I think you've got to see what he looks like at centre. I I do think, you know, he'll be forced to be more involved because the ball will be passed to him. and. You know, he's not just waiting for kicks or, or running off the end of, um, you know, cutout passes from Walsh or, or Reynolds or, you know, an offload from Stags or whatever on the right wing. Uh, in, you know, there's a small sample size, but 2021, he did play four games in the centers. I uh, like his base and base attack definitely went up. He averaged roughly 15, 14, 15 tackles a game, uh, which obviously that, and his run numbers pretty much stayed the same as him being on the wing. So, his base and base attack, I think he ended up averaging somewhere around the mid-30s, uh, which, you know, it's it's higher than what he usually is, basically, on the wing. So there, there's that argument. But, you know, Herbie scored a lot of tries at left center last year. So I, I, I think the left center does get enough attacking ball that if given opportunity, time, and space, like Cobo's got enough natural ability and timing to be able to do something with it. But... Yeah, certainly you can't start with him. Not for super coach. I, I'm probably a little bit more interested for draft purposes. I, I think he might be someone that you you can sneak later in the uh, you know later in the draft with a view to this this could pay off in the back end of the season when the draw is easier and when he's settled in at left center a bit more. But, You'll be able
1: to do that because I'll leave him there for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly. <laughs> you know, people who are who aren't believers in Selwyn uh, yeah, aren't, aren't going to touch him with a ten foot pole, and then you know. Broncos faithfuls like me can snag him in the last couple of rounds. (laughs) Well,
1: if he, if he went from 20 tries to 12 and there were say six line breaks accounted for there, um, he's going to average 50 points per game this year. That's what the numbers say. Now, obviously he's going to have an uptick in his base and everything else, but uh, I I would project him at potentially 55 points per game. And he's got a a bit more of a ceiling than that if he improves And the thing that I would give him credit for is his youth. He's young enough where he could easily come out and after two months be twice the player that he was at centre. He's young enough and has enough ability to be able to do something like that. But whether he does or not is a big question. I would, at this point, put my bets on he's going to average 50s and that's not going to be worth it at all to get the 600K checkbook out for him to sign him up for your super coach side. Uh, When we're having a look at a Big Balls pod... It's a guy whose numbers don't make any sense at all to have in, in your side, which is why it's Big Ball's Pod, Wilfred. Big Ball's Pods are the ultimate pods. They are guys who, you know, you've got to have some big kahunas to put him in your side because the numbers and a lot of the other narrative says it's not going to work out. Ezra Mann at 52 points per game last year. Now, he he went down three points a game. He was a 55 average in 2022. I actually pinned him for a 60-plus average in 2023, and he disappointed a little bit. Uh, he... Never had a ton all year, and he still managed to score a bucket load of tries. Very big concerns. Uh, And he had a lot of games that were lower, with a low of 26, which he did twice. And when you have a look at his high games, well, his best one was 82 points. And that's not very high for a season of 22 games from a number six that should be getting better. So, Wilfred, I've got a lot of concerns with with, with Mam, but I have always really liked him. Uh, obviously there was a bit of a tug-of-war for his services because he was off contract and he uh, was getting offered quite a bit of money to go elsewhere. He comes into this year after you know massive heroics in the grand final as well where he really showed himself as potentially an elite option of the future. But at 5'8", it is a bit of a desolate wasteland. We don't have many options. So people are going to look for cheaper ones for that second spot. And at 532,800, he is quite cheap, especially if he can put together a season that's improved in the attack and, um, well, not the try scoring, but actually creating. I was super confident in him last year, stepping up a few points a game. I'm not as confident this year because of that draw to start with. I think he's going to struggle initially, but the problem is that the Broncos built a side last year that I didn't think was going to happen where all the attack went through Reese Walsh and, and Adam Reynolds to a second degree. Uh, so there just wasn't enough scraps left over for me, I don't think. He was great at running the ball and um, playing third fiddle, but for super coach, that's not a recipe for success, is it?
0: No, not at all. And one thing that probably the numbers don't show is that he played busted for a lot of the season. And, and there weren't, like, major injuries to the extent where he couldn't get out on the field, but he, he was playing through stuff uh, pretty much every single week. Uh, he the amount of strapping he had on him was quite impressive, and I think it showed because he his his run numbers dropped a little bit. But it was more the like he wasn't busting as many tackles. He wasn't, uh, yeah, just not as efficient with, with his with his touches. So I do think that probably contributed to the downturn in his scoring. But you're right, like I think for him, if the attack remains exactly the same, which I guess you'd say. You know, you probably wouldn't tweak too much in, in the second best offense in the NRL, but you probably need to make some adjustments because other teams are going to try uh work that out and uh, defend it better. So there's that narrative to suggest that he may be involved and, and create more points uh, for, for 2024. 20, but yeah, uh, you're right. It's a big ball's pod for a reason. I definitely couldn't go there uh, for a classic. I, I, again, sneakily, I think he may drop a little bit for draft and and that might be an opportunity, but, yeah, not not for round one for classic, that's for sure. I actually really like him in draft because he's going to be in the later rounds, um, the middle to late rounds, because he might
1: sneak into the middle just because of position scarcity as a number six, but I I quite like him in draft and I think that he could be some value there. You're just going to have to weather the storm for maybe the first five or six weeks and then you you might hit some form. I, I do think he's got the chance to improve. Uh, but Big Balls Pod, it's not always a Big Balls Pod that I'm going to say that I like. So when I do have the Big Balls Pod category, don't get confused and think that I I, I think it's a great Big Balls Pod. I don't think it's a good one, but people are bringing it up, which is why I'm putting him in that category. Um, Mistakes, there's a couple, and one of them I'm just going to say, Wilfred, Katoni Staggs gets talked about every preseason. He keeps getting talked up in the media. It started to go down a little bit and die, which it needs to, because I just don't think he's very good. I don't mean to smash Katoni Staggs. It's relative to what some of the media coverage and some very, very passionate fans say about him. But in Supercoach, he averaged 52 points per game, pretty irrelevant. The year before, it was 49. He's only ever gone 60-plus once, and it was in 2021. He just isn't any good for Supercoach. At 533,000, get you're get, going get to get a guy who has a tough draw and is 22% of the time going 60-plus for you. Uh, only what two games he went seventy plus three games he went seventy plus like he's just he's just not a good super coach option and I think at this stage we can just sort of bite the bullet and say Katoni's is just not an option for round one and really I'm very much not
0: even interested during the seasons anymore in Katoni Stags yeah look uh, this is a tough one because uh, you know as a Broncos fan I probably watch someone like Stags a lot closer than others. And one thing with Catoni is that he, I feel like last year, he was really challenged to focus on his defense. And, you know, it doesn't really show up on the stats because it's not like his tackle numbers went out of this world or anything like that. But what he was doing was, uh, I think, the way that they were defending on the right edge, there were there was a lot of one-on-one kind of assignments. So uh, between Reynolds, Ricky, and Staggs, uh, I think at one point they were the three of them were top five and one-on-one tackles in the NRL. So it was obviously a coached and, and intentional decision on how they were defending there. But, you know, he's going to miss some tackles. Like he's just not, he doesn't have perfect technique. Let's put it that way. But he definitely went through, especially him and Ricky, they went through a period where they were just absolutely smashing guys. And you know, again, one point for super coach, but uh, you know, very far more impactful on the field. So, they were locking teams down on that edge uh quite a bit. Obviously, you know, you in, in in this current uh iteration of the NRL, you can't always, you know, you're not shutting out teams, basically. They're gonna score eventually. But the amount that they would shut down compared to where they were previously, uh, was very impressive. So I, I felt like he was just tasked to just improve the defense and and focus on that aspect of the game as he built through the year, like he you know, I think the whole origin thing was probably on the mind as well, and and once origin kind of passed, like he was just able to focus on his game. And you know, you talk about his fifty two average. The back end of the season, he he actually averaged, I think, if I'm not mistaken, he was like close to sixty uh, for the you know, from round thirteen onwards, or maybe from around fourteen onwards. So you know, he he started off not so well, and then come the back end of the year, he he definitely improved. He'll never be consistent, but I, I think as a point where he could get cheap enough that he's not like a, he's not a bad flyer to to take a risk on as a pod because I, I, I dare say a lot of people will be in the same boat as yourself. He's just on the never again list, so yeah, I'm not going to go there for round one, that's for sure. But I can certainly see like he does have the potential to have a super coach impactful game because of the fact that he does bust tackles and he can offload and you know he he obviously has a lot of actual ability to score tries when he gets close to the opposition try line. Well, the Broncos don't even play
1: the first two major buy rounds of 13 and 16, so he's not even going to be relevant for a look there, unfortunately. <laughs> but I'll throw out there another number. A third of his games were scores of 20s or 30s in Supercoach, and that is just an absolute killer. Um, as far as the back end goes, he did have a better score in the back end, but it was basically anchored by 136 demolitionists' house and an 83-point big game against the Cowboys. You know, the other games in that run were 45, 25, 41, 30, 50, 55, 52. Pretty mediocre. So look for for Supercoach, I just I, I for round one, he's a definite write off. Don't even consider him. Yep. Um you can't do it. Um especially these other guys too, like Walters who we're gonna segue straight to. Walters is a huge mistake. I think that there's some Broncos fans who have brought him up because they're they're thinking that he's going to get a huge amount more minutes. So I'm I'm interested in your take with Walters because I think you know I was pretty down on him as an option if he's a starting nine. And I think last year he showed immense improvement, which I gave him huge credit for because he was a lot better than I expected him to be. And that's a huge credit to him because he's 29 years of age. You don't normally improve that much, um, and he improved quite a bit on the prior season. So good on him. He still only scored 42 Supercoach points per game. He still only played 51 minutes per game. And his Supercoach scoring, you know, he, he only went 60 plus 17% of the time. He was never getting you a good score, hardly at all. And even when you look at his highs, he's got a try for 73. He's got a double for 77 and as his top two Supercoach scores. Uh, but when certainly when people are having a look at it, Wilfred, um, especially maybe some Broncos fans, they're saying, well, he's only 430,000. Hooker sucks as an option when you've got to look at that second hooker especially. That's relatively cheap, and he only played 51 minutes a game last year. He can easily go 60 or 65 this year, and then all of a sudden he's going to be scoring well. I don't see the minutes there. I don't know if they're going to be better off as a team by giving Billy Walters the minutes, Wilfred, and I don't see it in their plans. But as a Broncos fan, like how do you see... Walters, has he got minutes opportunity here? Has he got
0: opportunity to grow off last year's career season for him? In a nutshell, no. Um I was with you, like I just I just didn't rate him. He had a fantastic season for who he is. I guess you could say that. Um, but he's look to his credit, you know, hooker's not his natural position. He's always been a half and and it was only, you know, a couple of years ago where he was being told that you gotta play hooker if you want to play first grade, you gotta you know be a utility. And you know, at the Broncos, they told him that was going to be a spot he had to learn to be a hooker if he wanted to be in the in the team, and that's what he's done. So, yeah, there's there's that where you know, you know that's an area where he may continue to improve for NRL purposes, but he's just never going to be super coach relevant. So, yeah, let's just move on.
1: Yeah, have to move on.
0: Um, now we're at the edge of, end of the Broncos.
1: We've got the mids and cheapies options before we head into the Titans chat. Uh, the number one for me. Let's talk about the Fords first. Pierre cura. per game last year when he started five games. Um, That was playing about 80 minutes. There was only one game that he didn't out of those five. But still, if he's locked in on a starting edge spot, he should be looking at 80 minutes. And he can even improve on that. Like he could go well into the 60s. Um, His raw base was 39.4 in those five starts, which wasn't too bad, really. Uh, Three of them looked pretty low, and they were boosted by the other two, which were in the 40s for his raw base. But he's a guy that does pass the eye test and does do a lot of things like you said earlier, Wilfred. He comes in at four hundred twenty six thousand eight hundred. So certainly, I think you know if you've got if you've got slam dunk mid price guys, you want them in the three hundreds, preferably if you could have all your wishes granted for you. But at four hundred twenty six thousand, he's still got the ability to make a hundred k plus. He is going to need the eighty minutes a game on the edge to be able to do that. Probably, maybe you can get away with seventy plus minutes type of thing, and that's fine. I guess the question for you is, is he the real deal? Is he going to be an 80-minute edge back rower or is there a chance that he's only a 60-minute type of guy, in which case, you know, he might only be eight points under price from his 42 average in 2023?
0: Yeah, this is a tough one because I, I, I genuinely don't know uh, what they're going to plan to do with the minutes and, and the makeup of the bench and everything like that. That's probably going to come into it a lot. Right now, Ricky is, you know, he's locked in at 80 minutes on, on the other side, so... I definitely think there's a world where, you know, Pekora does play 80 every week, but I'm not, I'm not like going to guarantee that that's for sure. Um, What I do think was that he was still learning, you know, the the first few games when he started on the edge, he was learning to see, well, how hard can I go in order to still have energy at the end of the game? Right. I think that was one thing he was really unsure about. Uh, I could, you know, as someone who obviously, was a big Broncos fan, Uh, sorry, big fan of him. And obviously as a Broncos fan, I watched him very closely and and I could tell the difference between his first two starts on the edge and then the the third and fourth times when he played, like you could tell he was more comfortable. Like, I got the fitness, I'm going to go harder now. And it showed in the stats too. Like he hardly had any tackle busts or anything like that. He was just focusing on trying to make his tackles and everything like that. But towards the back end, he started busting tackles. That's where he would, you know, he even found an offload or two along the way. And yeah, like that's the stuff you want to see for super coach in order for him to be relevant. Uh, So he's currently in my team as a starting, and I don't know, it's, it's my first draft or so (laughs) Uh, there's so many mid ranges that you could take a punt on. And I think he's at a decent enough high price point that, you know, if he doesn't work out, he's not too hard to jump across, but you know, the fact that Broncos don't have a buy uh, early on, uh, and as you say, not till round 13. That's one reason why I do think like if if I'm 50-50 on a bunch of mid-rangers, that's one reason I'm going to lean his way over someone else. Like say, you know, I I know some people looking at say a Sean Blore, like the Storm will have a buy in round four. Some people looking at, you know, other options where they've got buys in the first, like Josh Curran has a buy in round eight. That might not be an issue, but if it's a tiebreaker, I'm going to look towards the guy who definitely won't have a buy until round 13.
1: Yeah, that's a fair call too. I mean, he, he had a score of 42 per game last season. Now, I, I think I tend to think that his floor minimum is going to be an extra eight points on that, so around 50 points per game. I think is a reasonable expectation. But the upside for him is maybe between 60 and 64, you know, and that's if he's playing 80 minutes and got that locked in. I, the thing that's made me okay with leaving him in my side is that Cape was playing 80 minutes a game before and I'm not sure whether they've got the depth, especially with guys like um, you know, Jensen in the front row forward spot and stuff, that they can actually afford to to spell the edges. Uh, so I, I've got him on the, on the assumption that he's going to be 80 minutes there. But if he's less, I think it'll be 65. And if he's 65 minutes, it's still going to be eight or nine minutes more than what he was playing last year on his average. And it still should be seven or eight points to get him to that 50 plus. So... Pretty comfortable with him. He's young enough to have some upside as well. Uh, another guy that I'm not comfortable in at all, but I'm asking the questions about him, is Fletcher Baker. He's been pretty pretty popular in Supercoach sides, Wilfred. And I think it always happens with new buyers. Um, you think that a, a fringe bench type of guy like Baker gets paid decent money and he's going to get a big role. It's not always the case. It's just an assumption that I think we make. Is at the moment Slater on most teams that are projecting the Broncos lineup for this year to be on the bench? Uh, And that's probably going to be the case. I do see some value there potentially though, um, mainly because he was playing so few minutes at the Roosters. So he only averaged 30 minutes per game. He's got a PPM of one plus every year that he's been in the NRL the last three years. So 30 minutes per game is pretty low. So my big question with him was, well, can Fletcher Baker get 10 more minutes plus per game? Can he play 40 plus minutes? Because if he plays 40 plus minutes, he's got 10 points of value and that value is going to stay there because it's still low minutes. He's got a decent engine and he's a middle forward. So all of a sudden, he then starts to look a bit better than the naysayers might think. And I was initially skeptical, but if there's 10 minutes extra on offer there and he's coming off the bench, I hate bench front rowers, but he's a bit more of an established one. He's not like a, a rookie or a second year guy or someone who's played extremely limited games. Uh, So he might go okay, but where do you see him fitting into this jigsaw puzzle? Because the front row is behind Payne Haas. You know, they're they're not big minute
0: guys. Yeah. I I think the, there is that potential. It's in the range of outcomes where he, you know, nabs an extra 10 minutes a game from what he was playing last year. I just, I don't think it's a hundred percent there. Like right now, he you know even even in his interviews and stuff like that, he acknowledges he's like a bench guy he's in the mix for a bench spot, and that's the the approach he's got. no doubt he's going to try pushing and you know if he can somehow earn a start, then that'd be fantastic, but like I just can't see that right now uh, I think part of the reasons the Broncos went for him is you know he can play on the edge as well, so he's quite handy to have as that you know bench uh you know bench forward who can jump on an edge if need be or obviously play in the middle. Um, to dispel the main guys. So look, I can certainly see where the the potential comes from, but I just like, I'm not interested personally. I, you know, I'll wait and see if the, if the minutes are there somehow, then great. If they're not, then yeah. You know, there's, there's other guys at that price point where you can really look to it. Yeah. The, the thing with Flegler leaving is that he only averaged 44 minutes a game. So it's not like there's huge bulk minutes on offer yep. there. So, yeah, I'm just, and and you know that's bol- bolstered by games where, you know, Haas wasn't playing, you know, Carrigan had a week off or whatever. Like so, I, I genuinely don't think the the opportunity for minutes uh, for Baker is is that locked in. So I'd look elsewhere.
1: Yeah, three hundred eleven thousand. He's cheap enough, uh, but I think he's going to be a slow burn. So even if he works out, might take you couple of months to get to your 100k mark to, for him to get in the 400s. And he is a worker and not much else. So he, he's going to be meat and potatoes. And I think that's probably the best segue from, from him to another front rower, potentially for the Broncos. Um, Baker, having watched him a lot at the Roosters and even in the lower grade, he is a really honest, solid bench option. He's not a great one. And that's not going to get him big minutes or a big role. Whereas someone like Xavier... Willison, oh, I love the look of him, just the eye test and just what he, uh, the potential that he has. Um, watching him last year, there's a couple of tries that he scored which are really powerful. He only averaged 29 points per game in Supercoach in 2023 and only averaged 19 minutes a game. Now, when you're looking at 19 minutes, it's a lot easier to go up 10 minutes a game from 19 than what it is from 30, and that looks achievable based on his Potential In his first couple of years, he only played three and one NRL games, and then last year he played seven, and he just looked really good. And it was the back half of the year too, and I think that he sort of earned that from from what I've seen from Walters. So I quite like him at 265000 He fits that fourth front row forward spot perfectly because you don't want to spend there at all. You prefer to avoid a bench player, but if you have to have one out of your four, you can live with it if they've got a bit of upside and potential. Uh, I, I do see him with the minutes potential, Wilfred, to go up there, um, and I, I see the talent there. But at 265000 do you spend that for the fourth spot? Do you put someone like him in there on a flyer? Obviously, the preseason is going to tell us a lot, but how do
0: you rate Willison? Yeah, I love him for Supercoach. And he would have played more games last year if it wasn't for injury. So that's been the biggest knock on him. He just can't stay fit. He's continuously you know, whether it's concussion or illness or, you know, obviously he also did his ACL at one point. Like that's been uh, an ongoing drama there, but the Broncos obviously believe in his uh, potential. I mean, a lot of it's just the physicality. Like he's a big human. I think he's actually the tallest player in the NRL right now. So he's grown again. <laughs> he's taller than Nelson, a uh, big Nelson. And and yeah, he's a heavy boy, like over 120 Ks from memory. So I think he's going to continue to mature physically And like the Broncos already, like even while he was on his ACL, I think they still signed him for another four years or something like that. So that's, that shows how much they have waiting for him. Uh, So yeah, I think he's in my team at the moment. I can see him nudging to 25, 30 minutes and at his PPM and with his attacking potential. Like, you know, one thing you talked about Haas not scoring tries, like they don't like to use Haas that way. He's not the barge over guy. Willison absolutely is because he can. Just you know, like he he just smashes people like that. I just think, yeah, he's more likely to crash over for a pie than than Haas is. So, yeah, that's that's what you want. And they
1: looked for a few of those like last year. They a few times they looked for him and he converted all exactly. of them. And, and that's what you want over. from a
0: bench prop, right? Like just one trial or two, and then I'll spike him up fifty to hundred k if he can do it back to back, and then you, you ship him off to someone else you can as soon as you can.
1: Yeah, and it's. To finish off on him as well, it's for Supercoach, there's the lucky factor. And the lucky factor is you you got guys who could have some luck go their way where they, they can rocket up some, some um, early money-making. And you see it with, with wingers a lot. Like Khan Pereira looked like someone who was not very good at times last year, starting off with some single-digit outings of like nine and seven points and stuff. But he always had the luck factor where he could easily get a double. He could easily get a, a triple. And if you got that luck on your side early, you got the money-making going very early and you get a leg up on the on the guys that didn't get on him as a cow. Willison has that luck factor with him. You know, you could get a couple of barge-over tries in the first four rounds against tough opposition, and then all of a sudden he's making money very fast. So he's got that over other front row forward bench options, the slow burns, because they're slow burns because generally they're meat and potato guys. I don't see Willison as a meat and potato guy necessarily. Just before we move from the Broncos, I'm just going to throw two names out there. Can you please tell me whether Oates or Arthurs are going to be relevant whatsoever? Oates is in his 30s now, but he's pretty cheap. He's going to come in at uh, not very much for Corey Oates, um, but Arthurs is going to be
0: uh, a bit more expensive. But I think you got the other wrong way around. So Corey Oates is 451500 one five hundred. Jesse Arthur's. Oh yeah, right now yeah, I yeah, think Arthur's the other one. is three seventy six. So look, I you know I'm, I've I've always been a Corey Oates fan. You know uh, how many times have we just have we argued about Corey Oates on this pod over the years, right? It's been hours worth, hours worth. Even I couldn't go with Corey Oates uh, for round one, but Jesse Arthur's I think is cheap enough. And if you're you know spending up big elsewhere, I think you got to look at someone like a uh, Jesse Arthur's to just you know you plug him in in center wing and hope he crashes over for a couple at some point. And, you know, if the Broncos can attack the way they do, he probably will. And then, yeah, move him on to someone more reliable as soon as possible. But that's, the, yeah, I, I wouldn't write off someone at Arthur's price tag to start in your center wing for round one, just even despite the, the rough draw, basically.
1: I'm going to him off, Wilfred. <laughs>
0: 376,000.
1: And he just looks like an absolute spud. He's gone 37 points, 37 points the last two years. Across 29 games, where he's played 80 minutes a game, he just he just looks like a bit of a spud. And uh, he, he did score eight eight tries in 17 matches last year. So, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm actually going to stay away from Arthurs. It's probably a good time for us to move on to the Titans. So, the Titans, their draw, it's not the best because they've got the second buy, the second round buy. But I think that it presents opportunity, Wilfred, because people are going to look at the second round and say, "Oh, look, they've got a buy. I can't put these guys in my side." But the actual draw to start with is quite good. The first round is against the Dragons before they buy. by. Round three is against the Bulldogs. Round four is against the Dolphins. So three out of those first four, it's, it's decent point scoring. And then you go into the second month, uh, the Cowboys and then the Raiders and then the Seagulls and those three games you know, might be okay. They've got the Warriors, which is away, so that looks hard, and then it goes a, a lot harder after that. Uh, And they don't play the first major buy in round 13. They play the second major buy and the third major buy. So the first, certainly the first couple of months, I'm actually quite interested because people are going to stay away because of that round two buy. And I think that you can weather the storm for one round. You know, you can, if you don't have too many of them, obviously you can weather the storm. But I really look at that Dragon's first one and just go, well, if I can get a leg up round one by having... A couple of Titans that go really well, that sells me on being on having to sit them the second round and not worry about it too much. So well, I quite like the draw. If it wasn't for that buy, it would be great. But it's, they've obviously got the round two buy. Does a round two buy make you stay
0: away from Gold Coast Titans players? Yeah, in short, yes. I I, I think I agree in, in that if you think they're a player that has the ceiling to score well enough in round one to justify, you know, scoring the, enough points for two rounds, basically then yeah, so maybe Dave Fafita is the only person I'd put in that basket. Outside of that, it's hard to think about anyone, you know, unless they're cheap, you know, that it's a cheapie or whatever where it's okay. They're not in your starting lineup or whatever. But certainly someone like a Tino where I just, you know, yeah, sure. If he crashes over a double, he might have that ceiling too. But I I, I struggle uh, when there's a round two buyer. Like last year, I was happy to navigate that with someone like a term, Tommy Turba. And then I tried to get fancy with, you know, using the the buy to to trade for other people and stuff like that, and it just backfired on me. So uh, I feel like the conservative play and probably the percentage play is just to avoid as many guys on the round one, two, and even three buy if you can, um, and then use, uh, you know, someone who's got a. if it's a team that's got a round three buy, then, you know, you probably want to try target them to, to bring them into your team in round four if they're, they've had a good round in one and two, like you get that extra week to be able to, you not have to worry about price changes before you bring them in. So I think that strategy is probably more viable. Same even for round, you know, round two by, so again, they don't change price wise until round four. So you could have a look at them in round one and three and then jump on after that. The only, yeah, the only names would be like Tino Fafita, those out and out guns where you just know that come end of season, they're probably going to be top three, top five in their position. And you can lock and load them for the for the year. Um I, I just yeah, I, I struggle with Titans basically. I don't know what uh Des Hasler coming into the team is gonna do, especially for Tino. Uh, we've seen what you know he what Des did for the likes of Jake Dravovich later down down the track in terms of what he changed in terms of his game. Um I don't know if that's gonna happen to Tino, because I don't know if Tino's got that same ability to to pass the way that Jake did and yeah, I don't know. I I have a lot of reservations about the Titans early on. I feel like maybe it'll settle in, but early on, I'm I'm, I'm trying to avoid them as much as I can. Yeah, so
1: I I'm happy to forget about the round two buy if it's a, a top player or if it's a bottom price rookie, and that's basically what I'm looking at. Uh, and I don't think that I think a lot of teams will ignore a David up because of the fact that they got that round two by When you have the, the player movements, there's actually not very many. Like the losses that they've got, none of them are even worth really talking about. And the gains, they got Palacio from the Broncos and Harley Smith Shields from the Raiders, nothing big. So it's pretty unchanged. The big change is obviously going to be Des Hasler coming in. And you make a really good point. I'm, I'm not sure that we know what's going to happen there. Uh, and that's going to be the biggest question mark. I tend to think that it won't affect feeder because, I mean, Let's just go straight into it, and I don't. I don't think they're going to be a top eight side. Um, I don't think they're going to be great to start with, but I think by the end of the season, Hasler would have put his blueprint down, and he's got enough to work with there that they're a potential, you know, top eight type of side going forward after the first half of this season, um, and certainly working towards next year. And I think that'll be Desert's plan as well. But Fafita is the first player to talk about, and he is just ridiculous. Eighty-two points per game last year. And he did that playing 22 matches, which is the best, the most number of matches he's played since 2019, which is really pleasing to see. Some really big numbers from him when you have a look at it. 82% of the time he went 60 plus. And when you look at the numbers a little bit more, 15 out of 22 games, he went 70 plus. If you take out his injury affected game, because there was one game that he was hurt and he played 33 minutes, his uh, average is actually 85 points per game. And the most impressive thing for me, Wilford, is it's not all the tons because, I mean, he had a huge amount of those. He Four tons in a row in the middle of the season, going 114, 100, 111, 116, and he ended up with six tons uh, altogether for the season. That's not even the most impressive thing for me. Most impressive thing for me is that he brought his base up to a raw base of 46 points per game, and it was 36 a year before. That was always a knock on him, on his floor, you know. But
0: the other thing too is that he, his involvement in the attack he was getting so many assists. And that's, I think, the biggest change, right? Like, he really showcased a, a side of him that I really didn't think he would have, the ability to, you know, throw a nice cutout ball to the winger. So that that was really cool. And I tend to agree uh, with, with you know, your overall assessment there of Vita, like, there's no second role in the game quite like him and for Supercoach as well. So the one thing I, I'm just kind of a bit iffy about is that, you know, he's coming off this peck partial pec tear from December. Uh he's only just started running, I believe. And like this this past week. So that to me says he's obviously well behind on the preseason, right? Because he would have he would have been well into it by now had he not had that injury and the surgery afterwards. So that's probably the the hesitation I am uh worried about because you know we've seen the past fitness has been a little bit of the issue here, right? Because he he can fade out of games when he's not You know basically fit match fit in particular so i it's scary because i did go through a period of time last season where because i I stupidly sold sold him i started with him and i sold him in around five by for the titans thinking i'd be clever about it and then i just never quite got him in afterwards because of you know various things that kept happening to my team uh with other injuries and stuff like that so it was really painful for a long time without him there but I, I kind of think maybe this is one of the situations, especially with the round two buy. I will just give round one a miss. You know, obviously, don't have to worry about it in round two, and then depending on how he looked in round one, I'll see if he's a priority to bring in for round three. Where I might, you know, look at some of the mid-range second row options that I've look, I've, I've you know taken a punt on, and then hopefully there's a a cheapy that's emerged and I can go one up, one down to Fafita and then a rookie or something like that. That's In my head, that's how I've lined it up at the moment. But I certainly couldn't begrudge anyone just locking him in for round one and just rolling with that.
1: Yeah, I have him in my round one side at the moment. And it's not a definite. It's certainly not a, a home run. But 832000 is a lot of money. But for someone like Fafida, it isn't because he's one of the best players in Supercoach. He's a genuine 85-plus yep. point per game type of average potentially if he's not hurt in any games. He only scored eight tries last year. I think there's extreme upside there. You know, that's that's not many tries for him in 22 games.
0: The one thing I also will throw in there is obviously with Bo Firma's return though, because, you know, Fafita did a lot of his damage from the left, left edge, uh, which is where Ferma was playing previously. So I'm wondering if that might come into play, Like, does he move to the right edge at, again or where he was the year before or
1: I, I did think about that too and it's a good point um but one of the things that negated my concerns because the other concern was like if, if the coach didn't change it was well now that they're attacking weapon both firm was back they don't need to go to Fafita anymore because <laughs> that was the problem before right they always kept going to firm and it was like don't you understand that you've got david Fafita? <laughs> yeah. but i now the coaching change actually gives me some confidence because Hasler's not going to do that. And I think that Hasler is smart enough and a good enough coach. He, he might he might bring down some of his middle forwards because he wants some passing and stuff. But the reason why they're passing at the line and stuff is because Hasler generally like likes to get the ball out to the edges, uh, even from you know middle forward shifting play and stuff like that. So that's what happened to to Gerbo. But it isn't what happens to his edge back rowers, you know. So I think that David Fafina is going to be really safe under Hasler and Hasler's going to use him. You know, I think we all lamented so many times the coaching that David Fafita got wasn't fair on his talent because he wasn't getting enough ball, and people would say, well, he needs to look for it. He does, but he also needs the ball to go out to him and him to be used better than what maybe the coach and game plan was using him. So I actually have renewed confidence because of that,
0: Wilfred. I think it's just more like obviously a lot of what was what we saw, a lot of the effectiveness came from the fact that Kieran Foran was there telling Fafita where to go. You know, you watch the games. He was constantly pointing at him, you know, telling him, uh, encouraging him verbally and stuff like that as well. So, we don't know who's going to play five eight at the moment, right? Is that still up in the air? Oh, it's got to be foreign. Sorry, um, halfback. Is it going to be Tanner Boyd again? Yeah,
1: I think it's it's another one of those ones which is up and down. I think most most places have Tanner Boyd penciled in as as the halfback.
0: I can't work that out, hey, because I, I think if if it is Tanner Boyd again, then sure, you know, it should be foreign and. And then Boyd and left, but if they change it up, like there's a potential that it's not foreign next to Fafita, and you know that's just an un- another unknown there, I suppose. It is. Um, look,
1: I'll, a couple of big positives I'll say with Fafita, and we'll move on. I the re- one of the reasons I'm looking at starting with him 832,000 is a lot of money, but there is that much value in the secondary afford in the 400s that I think that you can afford to to spend up to a Fafita from say 750 type of guy that that a lot of people will buy. Uh, so the, it's it's easy enough to do it. Yep. The other thing too is that because of the round two buy, people will stay away. And for Feeder is even a genuine captaincy option. Like round one versus Dragons, he's a genuine captaincy option, yep. and he could easily go 100 plus easily. And that's a that's a great pod captain score. But it's even if you don't captain him, he's still going to be a pod. He will not be 10 plus percent owned round one. It won't happen. So. Someone like him that can hit every single statistical super coach point scoring category like he does, he's a unicorn. And I just, I love that as a pod. I love that as a captaincy option. And I'll take the round two hit because the draw puts it home. If the draw was worse, I wouldn't do it. But the draw is quite good if they didn't have that round two buy. And again, not locked in for me, Wilfred, but I just think that he's probably more of an option than what the masses are probably giving him credit for because he's so far and away to me, the best second row forward that we've got.
0: Yep. Right now, 8.7% on Coulton Supercoach Plus. So you're right. That, that's criminally low for someone like Fafita. But I guess also understandable because it is a, a bit of a tough one to, you know, knowing there's a buy, knowing he's coming off the injury. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah. yeah, all of that type, all of the above. So, yeah, I, I totally understand what you mean. Like, it's it's definitely, there's a, there's a real pod potential there for Fafita.
1: If you're going to risk it, you don't want to take too many risks, but the risks that you take, you want to have big upside. And that's exactly what Fafita presents if you want to start with him from round one. Tino, the other big name in that pack for the Gold Coast Titans, 791,500, scored 77.5 points per game. He is a dual second-row forward, front-row forward again, which is super handy, and it's something that he does have over someone like Payne Haas. Um He's going to be about 40k more expensive than Payne. So there is that. Uh, he did have a career year. You know, his prior best year, Wilford, was 67 points per game in 2022. So he went up 11 points per game. It was a huge jump. Um, He's base base attack, 57 base, but his base attack was at 15 per game, which is really good for him. He scored six tries. That's mostly most he scored. He did score four tries the year before. Uh, I am having a look at the des factor, though, and I am having a look at the fact that he played 62 minutes a game, which is the highest that he's played. I think those are, are, are valid question marks, whereas someone like Payne Haas, if we were to benchmark the top front rowers, doesn't have any question marks. That was basically the reason why
0: I went for Payne. I'm pretty much with you on that. Like, I, I love Tino. I think he's really good for Supercoach when he gets the right minutes in the right role. And right now... You know, we saw that in 2023. It was just perfect storm for him. Now, the you know, the uncertainty obviously is is what does Des Hasler do? We've seen him obviously ruin some players for super coach purposes with his you know, as you say, he likes to get the ball to the edges and makes his um lock into a ball playing forward instead of a uh, you know what Tino is basically He's someone who just runs bloody hard and and you know has the ability to bust tackles and and offload and also find uh, the try line so than most middle forwards so yeah it's enough and and plus the price tag obviously it's enough to to keep me away from tino if i'm going to go for a high price titan it's going to be feeder over tino for me yeah definitely for me too and credit where it's due: 74 percent of his games were 60 plus
1: it was crazy how much he was going for 60 plus and how consistent he was and he did have what three tons uh four tons sorry which is four tons more than what someone like Payne Haas did. So the argument there is that yeah. he can have a better ceiling, uh, and that is definitely there. But the career year and how big the career year was, like all the numbers were so much bigger. Like I said, 74% of the time he was 60-plus. His next best was 55%. He's You know, he's got up 11 points per game. He scored the most tries at six, and he's got Hasler coming in. There is just way too many question marks, and I could see people paying for him and him still being good, but averaging 65 And 65 points per game is good for a front rower, but it's 13 points below his value point to start with round one, and he's got the round two by just too many flags for me to... But there is some strange gun talk here, and we're just going to bypass it entirely. Brian Kelly is actually a gun in the sense of the criteria for a gun. He averaged 64 points per game, Wilfred. (laughs) But he's one of those guys that's always sort of been coming through. I have to say that when he when he broke through, I think it was under Hasler at Manly as well. So he does have that connection. But I I don't want to give Gold Coast Titans fans less content, but I have to say like if they're not the top names or really good value guys then they're just going to be stay-aways, unfortunately. We're not going to spend time on these middling type of guys like Brian Kelly. So it, I just think that Brian Kelly just can't be yeah. an option because of the round two buy and the career year that he's had and just because it's Brian Kelly and you're paying a 64-point price tag for him. So you basically in agreement there. so we can move on from Brian Kelly at
0: 653. Well, I was just going to throw out a... Yeah, I was just going to throw out a really uh, sneaky one there. Apparently, there's Whispers he's not even in the top 17 right now. So, yeah, let's keep it moving. Oh, geez.
1: Well, there's that as well. I mean, and that brings us on to the rising gun talk of, of Alexander Brimson. Brimson, at the moment, is is penciled in a lot of sides to be like, playing centre. And we don't know what he's going to do there. So that's the biggest problem. Uh, it is going to be interesting, though, because he's fullback at the moment in Supercoach, and he's going to get the duel. He'll get the job before round one. So there'll be an update. He'll go fullback, center wing. And at 587000 he's not the most expensive center wing that you could have with a bit of strike power. I will say, like, the round two buy cancels him out. But I will say 58 points per game in 2023 is his lowest since 2019. He's been 64, 61, and 74. So his price point is, is real value if he can get back into the 60s. And if he kills it at centre wing, like we've seen guys before like Valentine Holmes move into centre wing and, and excel eventually anyway. Under Hasler, if he's really committed to a Brimson centre experiment and it works, with the draw that they have, I could actually see him almost being a big bull's pot and actually working out a little bit. Um, but again, it's too much risk for me for round Martin. But the price is okay. His ability and talent is there. We just haven't seen it at center before, and there's just a bit of unknown
0: there. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Like, you just got to watch and see. I think he did play center at the back end of the year, uh, I think round 27, if I'm not mistaken. He did score a try playing there and scored by 85 or something like that. But, yeah, it's it's hard to tell what he's going to be like as an actual center uh, full-time. So, yeah, there's no need to take that risk at that price tag. And, again, with the round two buy in there. So, yeah. He's right on the watch list for me.
1: And I think one of the key things is after the round two bye, you can start trading guys like him in round three if they're looking good. And all of his numbers have the ability to grow to finish up on him. So he only scored four tries in, in 2023 in 14 games. He'll easily match that as a centre if not get more. Uh, his base was only 22 raw base. He'll easily match that or get more. So he's not going to go down. He's one of those fullbacks that isn't going to go down. Moving to center, I don't think uh, he might even go up. He might even be better there. So I- I'm definitely watching him. Controversial chap, Jaden Campbell. Now, this is on the proviso he's starting at fullback. A lot of teams are putting him in, and I understand why Wilfred because he's priced at four hundred fifty-six thousand. Now, priced at four hundred fifty-six thousand under a forty-five point average. If he's a starting fullback, there's a lot to like about that price point. Why is it a controversial chat if he's starting at fullback? Well, I'm going to say it's controversial because I I don't think you can start him at number one. So I've kind of cheated a little bit with this one, Wilf. But if he's starting, you can't start him in your side at number one. At number six, I'm very interested. So only 11 of his 22 games were 80-minute games last year, and eight of them were starting fullback at 80 minutes for a 61 average. Um, And his base was actually better than I thought it was at 32 points per game as a starting fullback at 80 minutes. So his numbers are actually quite good. Uh, If he's starting fullback, the numbers say he's 16 points undervalued and he's very affordable. He's a dual fullback and 5'8", though. Don't start him at fullback. I think that's a mistake because there's too many other good options. But he is currently my second 5'8", and I absolutely love the pick there with the draw. And whilst he's got the round two buy, he's still going to stay there for me because he's cheap enough to to take a hit in round two and there's enough value in potentially 16-plus points per game where it's worthwhile to have him and not waste a trade bringing him in later, I reckon.
0: Yep, I think, again, very valid points. I, I agree, you know, at, as a reserve 5-8, he's worth that potential pick there. Uh, it, this might come down to a team structure kind of decision, but, yeah, I'd, like he... He is obviously very. uh I mean, he's a bit of a ball hog, right? Which we know is good for super coach, and he gets enough attacking opportunities. If he gets, you know, eighty minutes consistently, he's you know when he's played eighty minutes, he's shown the ability to be very super coach relevant and put out some decent scores. So, yeah, I think that's all it comes down to. I know there's been whispers that he might be injured at the moment, so that's something they could probably keep an eye out. But yeah, I did hear that apparently Kino Kinney has been training at fullback recently, so. Um, whether that's because Campbell's been hurt or whatever, I'm not sure. But one one to watch for sure. Uh I, I dare say if he's definitely there come end of sorry, and round one and he's named at at fullback, I, I think I'll be right there with you. Yeah, and I'm
1: someone who is actually a little bit down on Jaden Campbell. Like I, I see a lot of people say, Oh, he's you know, he's a great fullback, he just needs the opportunity, it's crazy stuff. I don't actually see him as that great. Um, he's got potential still, he's still young, but I'm I'm a bit more down on him than some fans are, but for Supercoach, I'm right up there for him. Turbo 2, 2.0, mate. Like Turbo got brought along by Des. Certainly <laughs> can't can Jaden Campbell average 100 points a game? Come on, under Des, I'm sure he can. Let's wait and see. Uh, mistakes in this side. I'm just going to say, real quick one to get to the last mids and cheapies chat. The mistake with the Gold Coast Titans is trying to get any of their bench forwards. I've done it. I did it with Junior Tino with Isaac Far Somali. And geez, it was bad. Don't do it. And especially with Des, um, I think that Dez won't use these bench middle forwards very much. Um, so just in general, I think it's a mistake a lot of the time to get a bench
0: front rower. But especially for the Titans, I, I think it can be a bit of a mistake here. Yep, totally agree. I um, no, not not really any interest at all. Mids and cheapies. There's two main guys. Uh, I think that the big one is going to be both Furlong.
1: Furlong, we know was out last year with injury, but the year before he averaged sixty five points per game in a breakout season where he played eighty minutes a game on the edge now, he's at a really good price point because he sat out last year. That's a big thing with Beau Fermore. um obviously he's coming back from a serious injury under a different coach. You'd assume that he's going to win that that second row forward spot starting on that edge. He's four hundred and sixty-seven thousand. So once again, we have another secondary forward option that's this extreme value in the four hundreds. Uh, who's potentially, you know, at least sort of a close to six hundred K type of player if he's playing at that sixty-five level at a minimum. I think at a minimum he's going to be sixty plus, uh, whether he reaches sixty five. He scored a lot of tries that year to get to sixty five, and that has yep. to be remembered. But he still
0: should have at least ten points, twelve points value at a minimum, shouldn't he? Yeah, totally agree. Um, if we assume he's, you know, gonna go back to the role that he had before his um ACL, I think yeah, it's a pretty safe that I guess the, the unknown is still obviously Des Hasler and what, what his plans are there. But you know, he he was really coming on, I thought. Not just was it not, not not only was a breakout season for Supercoach, but uh, like actually for for football. Um, you know, he he is I, I quite like him yeah. as an edge back rower, and I, I can, you know, as a Queenslander obviously he's quite exciting, especially with Kurt Capwell, you know, well, well down, you know, moving on in age, so like, I couldn't, I I, would, I could see Firmo on an edge for Queensland if he is, you know, anywhere near the form that he showed before, before his ACL. So that's probably the other the big question mark there is the injury, how he returns from that. So at the price point, I think he's a worth, worthwhile uh, punt, but this is where I think strategically it might not be a bad thing just to start with someone else. And then uh if Firmall is showing out to be the, the main guy that you want to take a punt on as a mid-range uh second rower, then you can hop across and you'll get an extra round to be able to do that for his price changes. So that's where I would probably look at it.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good way to look at it, and I'm doing the same thing. Um I'm Like I'm more confident on a Campbell at a similar price only because if Campbell's named at number one, you know he's playing 80 minutes. If Bo was named to start, it's no guarantee that he'll get 80 minutes right off the bat, especially with that ACL. You know, maybe he gets 60. Yeah. And that all of a sudden kills his value because he doesn't have a huge amount of big scores. Like if you go back to his great season, he had two tons, one hundred five hundred seven. He went 60 plus 57% of the time. It's all good, especially at that price point. But there's a lot of, you know, 40s and 50s in there. And that's okay to make some money, but it's not okay if you're not playing 80 minutes, because they're not going to be 40s and 50s. You're going to get a heap of 30s. And that's not great. So, when you have a look at Firmall, I'm waiting on him, um, because I also think that there's other good secondary forward options um, in competition with him, and he's got the round two buy as well. So, he has an extra round before he's actually going to have that price change. So, so waiting, like you said, and then and then jumping onto him might be better, yeah. um, particularly with the injury, particularly with a different coach, and particularly just to see how he goes because we see it all the time that forwards start slow from their ACLs um, too when they're coming back from injury, and it might be might even be a couple of months before he really gets into it. Um, but the good thing with him is that he does pad his stats as an edge rail with a really solid base. He, he had a raw base of forty six in twenty twenty two. Um, showed some good offload ability and some try scoring ability, but that base was a really good floor for him. So you'd imagine that's still going to be there, but you need more than that, and you need the eighty minutes. So I think there's a, a, still a few flags there. If anyone wants to start with him, I think it's fine, Wilfred. I wouldn't say no. Yeah. But if anyone says, oh, no, I don't want to, I would support that decision too. And I think that maybe some people are looking at him as a bit more of a slam dunk than what he maybe is.
0: I think it's just, you know, you, you take it as a, that, that round two buy as a tiebreaker. Like there's enough good other alternative mid-range second rollers that you don't have to go with firmer. Like you, you can pick someone who doesn't have the buy, like a peer would be ahead of firmer for me because there's no round two buy to contend with. And, you know, comparatively, Jaden Campbell at five eighths, Like, mm. there's just not that many viable options around that price tag, hence why he's a lot more viable to have to start with there. The only thing I, I just remembered was that in 2022, a lot of the reason we, we all loved Firma was that he he had the dual position in center wing. So true. he's now, you know, second row only. That, that's probably not that big of an issue overall, but it's just a lot more competition for, uh, you know, people at that price point or in, in that position right now. 100%.
1: Sam Verrills we're going to finish on as another mid price guy. Um, we don't really see any rookies at the moment that look like they're coming through for the Titans. That could change. But Sam Verrills is 463000 It's a real problematic position at that second hooker spot in particular. He's coming off a 45.4 per game average. Season before, is 52. So, look, seven points per game value maybe. Um, minutes are basically the same around 65 for the last two years. Um, Aaron Clark's probably going to be on the bench. I guess there is the argument, you know, does Des come in and say, I want an 80-minute hooker? Uh, that has been thrown around. I've seen on Supercoach Central a little bit with Verrells. I'm just going to say one thing with Verrells: Numbers-wise, the most important thing is this. Each year going backwards, 11, 14, 13, 5, 11. That's how many games per year he has played for the last five seasons. Mm-hmm. That is the biggest deal with paying 463000 for Sam Verrells. I love him as a player. I've loved him since the junior days at the Roosters. I've always rated him as a really great talent hooker. He's never been able to stay on the park. Yep. There's no question on his point scoring. If he gets 80 minutes a game, he'll be a gun. He'll go 60 plus probably, and he'll be great value. But can he even play 80 minutes if he gets the opportunity and how many games is he going to last? You know,
0: too tough. I think that's pretty spot on. I'm, I'm with you. I thought Verilis was, um, you know, as far as a uh, hooker went, he's definitely... Uh, very skilled and you know, I think he's got good vision and he's got good timing. He's just, he just can't stay healthy. That's the, as you say, the biggest knock on him. And it's always so unfortunate every time I see him go down, I'm just like, you know, it's another lost season. It's another disappointment because yeah, he's, he's really, really good uh, as, as a hooker. So I, I can't go there. Uh, I think it's too hard when you've got, you know, two people, like only two spots and, and buyers to navigate It's just, yeah, it's too hard. Like, if if he's your second hooker, like, I just kind of think you may as well go someone else first. And then if you get confirmation that he's going to play 80, then he's probably not too hard for you to get to from someone else who's your backup hooker or whatever.
1: Yeah, and I threw out there whether, you know, whether he can play 80. You know, part of that is whether he's just got the ability to keep going. And he played five 80-minute games last year, and he only averaged just over 46 in those five games. So... He might be one of those guys that he averages similar at 80 minutes as what he does at 60 something. And that happens sometimes. So, yeah, there's, there's too many red flags. I do love Veril's, Um I hope that he goes well. Do you, just to finish off
0: on him, do you reckon that, that Des might go with an 80 minute hooker option based on how he's coached before? Honestly, that's a really tough question. I just, I, I feel like, you know, Des has actually not coached for a little bit, right? <laughs> I think that's something we have to think about. Like, what you know, has he, reflected and then, you know, decided to change anything about his coaching style. I don't know. So you think he's going to be running like the mousetrap play and like the wall and stuff off scrums? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It it might just be like, well, does he go, well, Merrill's you've had issues staying healthy. So we always need to have someone there to back you up or just to not, you know, force you to be punished for 80 minutes a game, every, every game. Maybe you you're better off and, and have more longevity. If you're always going to play 45 for us instead. Like that could be the the uh, conclusion that that Des gets to. Uh, yeah, uh, I feel like there's a lot of uncertainty about the Titans lineup, and and you know outside of the main guys and outside of mm. you know some someone like a, a Brimson where you know definitely they're going to move him to left center because it's been confirmed. But yeah, like a lot of these fringe players and the makeup of the bench, I, I, I genuinely uh, don't have a lot of confidence in how that's going to. Play out basically.
1: Yeah, trials are going to be super interesting. Even with Verrells, I think trials are going to be super interesting to see how he looks. I tell you where Verrells will have value draft. Yeah, you know, you'll get him as a yeah. second hooker later on, and then wait for his first three or four weeks to be good, and then just go and trade him high to someone that needs a hooker, and that'll be Absolutely. awesome value hey, for Sam Verrells and a great strategy for him. Uh, oh, look, I wouldn't rule out getting him in at some point. I'll still do it, but I'll, I'll be doing it during the season after I see what the Titans look at and stuff. I've seen a lot of teams trying to start with him and I, I don't think that he can. That's too much risk there. That finishes up the Gold Coast Titans. Wilfred, Broncos and Titans, really appreciate you jumping on the podcast as always. It's always great to chat footy with you. And as always, we'll get you on for some episodes during the year as well.
0: No worries. Thanks for having me on. And it's yeah, it's it's nice to kind of ease into the the year, uh, talking more and more footy, more and more super coach. And yeah, I'm just keen for some footy bring it on. So keen. And if you're keen
1: for your footy and you're listening to this, make sure you listen to the Supercoach Champions podcast as well. Wilfred is great on that with all the other boys. And you can find us, this podcast, on Twitter. So follow us, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars, And also make sure that you don't just grab the podcast, but you subscribe to it, you like it, you share it, getting lots of new listeners, which is great. We are on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, SoundCloud, everywhere. Until next week, uh, we'll have a new two-team podcast preseason preview next week but until then enjoy playing around with your teams because super coach is officially launched it's fantastic it's a super coach christmas time enjoy yourselves enjoy your week we'll be back again with a new episode next week hey now you're an all-star get your game on go play hey now you're a rock
0: star get the show on get paid